0: Okay, so uh, this morning we are, as I said, we're continuing a series in James. Uh, It's titled Faith That Works. So over the last few weeks we've thought about the subject of of favouritism. We've also spent time looking at what faith that works actually looks like uh, day to day. Uh, And last week we focused on controlling the tongue, taming the tongue. Uh, This morning we're taking time to examine the difference between a foolish life, And a life that's marked, that's characterised, that's fuelled uh, by wisdom. Um, For us to do this, as always, we're going to open up the Word of God. So we're going to look together at James 3 and verses 13 through to 17. So James 3, uh, 13 through to 17. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open or on uh, as we look at this passage together. Uh, The words are going to be up on the screen, as I said. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. So James writes this in chapter 3 and starting in verse 13. James says, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And we're stopping there this morning because verse 18, my own personal opinion is verse 18, more naturally connects with chapter 4 than chapter 3. And just remember, chapter and verse numbers came afterwards for not the inspired part of God's word, eh, for just numbers. So... This morning, we take time to look at this final part of chapter 3. And what we're presented here with is a sharp contrast between a foolish life and a wise life. The truth of the matter for you and for I is that we are either in one of those camps this morning. We are either living foolishly or we are living wisely. And sometimes it can be a blend of both in the midst of all the different circumstances of life. And all of it begs the question for each one of us this morning. As we think about where we are at, who are you when no one is watching? Who are you when no one else is watching what you're doing? Um, Truth of the matter is we can all uh, come to church uh, on a Sunday. We can arrive, we can put on this uh, Christianized face. We can speak Christianese amongst those that surround us. And in reality, it can all be a smoke screen. It can be a facade. It can be a way of hiding who you really are and what is going on uh, in your life. And I've been really challenged by what Andrew spoke about a couple of weeks ago and what TJ reinforced uh, last week. When it comes to this question of foolish or wise living, ultimately the truth of the matter is that who it is that we are inside is linked to who we are externally. So what's, wh- whatever's going on internally is going to demonstrate itself externally. Um, If we have faith, it does in fact work. If we have faith, it does in fact produce fruit. Then we will not be a people who show favoritism. Um, We will have tongues that we control for the glory of God. And we will in fact live a life that's marked, that's flavored by wisdom and not foolishness. Uh, There's no doubt for us today. um, All of this is connected from all that we've looked at. Uh, and my prayer is that we would have just open hearts to hear what it is that God has to say uh, through this passage and around this subject of foolishness uh, and wisdom. Uh, in reality, uh, we can often mistake uh, wisdom for someone who has a lot of information. Um, we can think if someone knows a lot about something or about many things, then they are wise. Um, or we can automatically equate wisdom with old age. Um, The older you get, the wiser you become. You often hear that. Uh, We can even think about wisdom or foolishness from what it is the world regards as wise uh, or foolish. And by doing that, we do not hold to a biblical standard of what wisdom and foolishness is. But for you and I, the reality is, and I know this is true for, for me in my own life, that some of the most knowledgeable people I know in my life are also some of the most foolish. That might sound a wee bit harsh, but it's true. Um, Equally, we probably know some old people in our lives who are not wise in how they live. I'm not talking about anyone here today. Um, The older they get often, the more foolish they become. And we can be absolutely certain that the world's definition of wisdom and foolishness is completely, completely contrary to the biblical definition of wisdom and foolishness. So wisdom and foolishness from scripture are so different to how the world defines these terms because we live in this world that is so subjective. Um, If something is wise for you, if something is foolish for you in your own eyes according to your interpretation, then our world says that's okay. If it's wise for you, it's wise. If it's foolish for you, then it's foolish. And yet the Bible says the opposite. The word of God gives a very clear definition As to what wisdom and foolishness are. And this has to be our starting point and also our end point uh, this morning. So, have a look at what Solomon says as he describes wisdom, or rather, as he defines wisdom. He says this in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And Solomon also describes what a fool looks like in Proverbs 1 and verse 7. As he contrasts a fool with the wise one. So he says this in Proverbs 1, 7. Fools despise wisdom and understanding. So we can take from this that a fool is someone who has no regard for God. No fear of God. Ultimately this is someone who despises the things of God. That's our definition of a foolish person. And in light of this, the determining factor as to whether or not we will choose to live a wise or a foolish life is how close we are to God and how much we do, in fact, desire to be with God and to live for him. So the wise man both asks and answers this question correctly out of a desire to live a wise life for the glory of God. The wise man asks this, what would God want me to do in this moment? WWJD. What would God want me to do in this moment? Uh, What would Jesus do? That's a question we should all ask each and every day. And the more we ask that question, the more we answer that question correctly, the more we will cultivate a fear of the Lord and the more and more we will practice a wise life and not a foolish life. So we ought to take hold of the words of Jesus and his example and recognize how he lived and how it is we ought to live. So we see this from Solomon, but we ought to also, in light of this as our foundation, look at the example of Jesus and the words he spoke. And this is something we discover in Mark's gospel. Jesus himself describes his life in this way. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this morning I hope all of that as a helpful starting point, as we just try to come to terms with with these ideas of wisdom and foolishness, what it means to be a wise man or a wise woman or a foolish man or a foolish woman. We have to take hold of these biblical definitions of wisdom and foolishness. And in the midst of all that, we have to look to Jesus. We have to fix our eyes upon him. He is a model for wisdom. He is the one we should look to as we try to understand what it looks like to live a a wise life. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, and it's so helpful for us as we think about this relationship between Christ and wisdom and ourselves. So Paul says this, it is from him, it's from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Christ became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So Christ is our wisdom, understand that. Because you can think of wisdom as a sort of conceptual idea, but ultimately wisdom is a person. So it's not just that Jesus is a useful example for us, he is through his life here on earth, the personification of wisdom. Um, And all of us are share in a context where I don't think I need to tell you how it is that you can live A foolish life. I think it all comes pretty natural to us to live a foolish life. Um, We're pretty good at being world-class fools from time to time. Um, If we've been honest this morning, we're masters of an unwise life. There's something within us that always defaults in this direction. Uh, To give you one example of foolish living, um, how much of our time can be spent thinking about the things of this world? Uh, And not eternal things. How often do we focus on the here and now? And it's just a default in our hearts. We're constantly focusing on what's going on right now. And we do not think eternally. We do not make decisions or spend money with an eternal perspective. So this question is for both believer and unbeliever. Because it's quite tragic and it's quite frightening as well. That we can profess faith in Christ and still live a very worldly life so often in our lives, for here and now, can be what drives us, and not what God has for us in eternity. So, this is all a foundation uh, for us this morning. And what we're gonna do is dig into what James says about wisdom and foolishness. And my hope and prayer for each one of us, including myself, is that we see very, cle- very clearly who God has called us to be. And my hope and prayer is that we would consciously choose to rely upon his power. Because we can see a wise life before us, and we can think, I need to do this on my own strength. And that's not the way forward. We have to see what God is calling us to do, who God is calling us to be, and then choose to rely upon his power. And my hope and prayer is that we would then actively choose to step into that life, as we rely upon his power. So let's look at the first description of the foolish person. We're going to focus first of all on the foolish person. Number one, and the profile of a fool, James says in verse 14, is someone who is internally and externally unrighteous. So James contrasts verse 14 with verse 13. We're going to start in 14. We're going to come back to verse 13. But he contrasts 14 with 13 as two individuals who are distinctly different. The wise in verse 13 and the fool in verse 14. So have a look at what we read in our passage. James says this to a fool. And 14. But on the contrary, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. So, Denison Baptist Church, this morning, as we try and understand the DNA of a foolish person, you have to see that this is a lot of perhaps everything of what a fool is. Verse 14. If you have bitter envy, in your heart, the truth is you're not living in wisdom. If you're driven by selfish ambition, the reality is your life is marked by foolishness, bitter envy, selfish ambition and if you have one of these you have the other, they're both connected. Envy is a source of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition comes out of envy and we all know this to be true deep down. Perhaps we've not thought about it as explicit as this, but deep down in our hearts, we all know this to be true. In your flesh, if you see people doing better than you, then you have a potential within you to be envious of them. It's getting pretty quiet here, but it's true. Uh, You have a potential within you to hate them for what they're doing and all that they're achieving. Uh, And why do you have envy? Well, you have envy because... It's not you that's achieving this. You're not doing this. And that's an issue for you because ultimately, it's selfish ambition that drives your heart. So selfish ambition comes out of envy and vice versa. Envy comes out of selfish ambition. I mean, you only need to watch one episode, not even one episode, 10 minutes of The Apprentice to see this kind of attitude. Um, And The Apprentice, you have all these contestants working together two teams normally, and they try and compete in a a wide variety of different tasks. And there's never, I've I've never seen an episode where there's harmony, we are constantly at each other's throats, there's envy, there's backstabbing, there's this wave of conflict, because what's governing their hearts? Selfish ambition. (laughs) On the foundation of this envy and selfish ambition, um, they do what we read in this verse, this is a living embodiment uh, of this verse, they boast, and they boast, and they boast, they're always thinking, and they're always saying how amazing they are, um, right up until they meet Sir Alan Sugar, and then he just brings them to task, and more often than not, they fail, and they fail, and they fail, so they have this selfish ambition, they carry envy, they boast, they boast, they boast, and they constantly fail, and fail, and fail. And then they hear those fateful words. You're fired. Um, And you sit and watch this show, and there's there's almost a kind of flavour, a taste of foolishness in the air when you watch it. Some of the stuff that happens, some of the decisions that are made are unbelievable. Unbelievably foolish. But if the Bible is true, then that's the way it's always going to be. It's not just that show. That's characteristic of all of our lives because we all carry this human condition. Envy plus selfish ambition plus boasting equals foolish living. So take hold of this reality as we continue to dig into the two profiles that James presents us with here. James then warns us, if we jump now from 14 to verse 16, of what will happen if we dabble with this kind of sinful living. So have a look at what we read in verse 16 of our passage. James says this, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice so for james the moment we start to dabble in this <clears throat> in this section of the unrighteous and sinful buffy that lies before us that's the moment we start to grow an appetite for more and more sin more and more sin becomes evident within our lives every evil practice will potentially be upon us because ultimately our sin never satisfies we experience one aspect of sin and we want more because this is not as satisfying. So we pursue more sin, that leads to more sin, that leads to more sin. And we don't have to look too far to see an example of selfish ambition that leads to all sorts of different kinds of sins. So we just finished our sermon series in 1 Corinthians and what do we read at the beginning of that particular letter? Paul writes to the Corinthians and what we see are factions. There's factions within the church. The Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.11, he highlights the fact and he warns against a selfish ambition within the church that leads to envy, that leads to boasting. So in many ways, 1 Corinthians, the start of 1 Corinthians is the embodiment of what James writes here within these verses. And clearly this was an issue within the church and clearly this was also leading to all sorts of different kinds of sins. Because what we read from then on, from 1 Corinthians 1, is a whole plethora, a whole variety of different sins within this church. Let me just list some of the issues that Paul addresses beyond chapter one. So Paul identifies selfish ambition, and then he moves on and addresses all of these other sins. Incest, lawsuits against other believers, sexual immorality, unbiblical views on marriage and singleness, Eating food offered to idols in a way that brought discouragement to the wider body. The misuse and abuse of head coverings. Incorrect use of the Lord's Supper through drunkenness and marginalizing the poor. Undermining the proper use of spiritual gifts. Incorrect teaching on the resurrection. James writes all of this. James speaks about foolish living. But Paul, as he addresses sinful living in Corinth, he shows what this can look like and the damage that this can cause. Uh, And we need to be so aware that this potentially could be us, Denison Baptist Church. There is potential for this church to walk down this pathway. The moment you and I start to look inward, the moment we start to focus on ourselves, the moment we think about ourselves before we think about other people, that's the moment that selfishness is gonna grip our hearts. And that's gonna lead to envy. That's gonna lead to boasting. And then that's going to lead to an open door, a wide variety of all sorts of different kinds of sins. Some of which we've looked at in 1 Corinthians over the last few years. And the warning that we all need to take from these words of James is this. That this particular mentality of life and way of living also comes from three different sources. So we see this, if we go back now to verse 15, we see three different sources of all of these different kinds of sins. James writes this, Such wisdom, wisdom, does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Just love how direct James is. He doesn't mess about. He just says it as it is. James here highlights that our wisdom, in other words, our false wisdom, our foolishness, is earthly. It's from the world. The world is organized, it's structured in such a way It directs us away from the wisdom of God and towards a foolish life. If we were just to choose to live in this world with no openness to God and his word, we would default into all that the world is doing. And we all know this is is true. The world we live in is passionately against the Christian worldview in every single sphere of life. We see it in every single area of life. The world hates the Christian worldview. The world ultimately hates Jesus. But alongside this, James also says that this wisdom is unspiritual. So it's one thing to look at the world and say it's evil. It's quite another thing to look at ourselves, to look at our flesh, and to see how corrupt we are in our own hearts. The reality is within ourselves, as I've already mentioned, we choose to live foolish lives and not wise lives because there's something in us that wants that. We desire to live foolishly. So yes, we live in this world that's sinful and foolish, but we ourselves are a part of that problem. We are in the world, but we're also of the world from time to time. It's part of our nature as individuals. You know, you often see this when you hear people say words to the effect of this. I just couldn't help myself. There was something within me. I just, I just couldn't help myself. Or it was impossible to say no. It's nonsense. If you're in Christ, it's nonsense. It just feels like the right thing to do. So even though they and others know very clearly that it's not the right thing to do, we so often choose to do it. And the truth of the matter is, that our sinful, our flesh is sinful, and our flesh constantly drives us towards that, which does not glorify God. So people will look at your life, and they will not see God, because you're choosing to live, in a foolish way, according to the flesh. Paul says it better when describing the flesh. Romans 7, in verses 18 to 19. Paul says this, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. I mean, we could have a, a whole sermon on that one verse ever so much that we could look at. But I think what Paul is highlighting here is there's this constant conflict in our lives between the flesh and the work of the Spirit. And we always have a choice to either live in the flesh or to live in the Spirit. So we should be encouraged that the Apostle Paul, this, this person we esteem so highly, this guy had struggles with this particular issue. We can often think, I'm going through this in my own life, but the Apostle Paul, he was someone different. He's... He was someone who was closer to God but Paul was a man just like us and Paul understood what it meant to live this life and to experience this battle between the spirit and the flesh. So if that was Paul then that's us and we can cling on to the promises that Paul clung on to day after day after day. Finally James also says, and this is probably the most difficult aspect, this wisdom is demonic. The wisdom is demonic and without question that's a statement, quite a statement for us to contemplate this morning. So when you, when I, when we have selfish ambition, when we carry envy, when the outward evidence of our lives is one of boastful arrogance, and that can be subtle, that can be overt, but it can also be subtle. The truth is, we're becoming like Satan. Our adversary, the devil. This is the one who... Uh, and his selfishness, and his envy, and his pride, Satan tried to overthrow heaven and replace God for himself as the ultimate and supreme authority. And this is what we are doing when we live that kind of way, when we have selfish ambition, when we have envy, when we boast, we are being demonic. So that should be a huge motivator when you think about this passage, not to be envious, not to be selfish. Not to boast, because I think we would all agree, nobody wants to be demonic. We would all agree with that. It's not a life ambition for any of us. We're not putting it on our hopes and dreams for 2023. Um, All of this is speaking to us as a church family. I'm really challenged by this word. The challenge for us individually and collectively is this let us not be a church with brackets at the end foolish addition, Denison Baptist Church, and then foolish addition at the end. That way of life is the easiest thing for any one of us to do. We can coast through life, we can live in the flesh, we can display the fruits of foolish living, and no one will be impacted for God, both within the church and out with the church. It's the easiest thing that any one of us can do. Instead, Let's be a people who choose to live a wise life. And it's one that James highlights here in the remainder of the passage. And we see this in verse 13. So we're going to jump to verse 13 now. And James begins by asking this question in the passage. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. James asks this question on the basis of this whole premise of a faith that works. So a genuine faith is going to lead to genuine action. We've said this so many times. What Andrew touched upon before, a wise person will in fact live wisely. If you are wise, then you will demonstrate wisdom in your actions and your words and your decision making. So a person that carries wisdom in their heart and mind is a person who will live out that wisdom in the ordinary circumstances of life. And notice that James here highlights that it is possible to know, it's possible to know that we have wisdom in our lives, genuine wisdom, authentic wisdom, wisdom that glorifies God. And we can have that wisdom and we can be aware of having that wisdom and we cannot let it corrupt our hearts and pride so that we think that it's something to do with us. So we can have this wisdom in our lives and at the same time recognize that we're nothing special, that it's God doing the work in our lives. And the difference in whether or not our wisdom is genuine, pure, authentic, lies in, in what, or rather, who we look at. So, because it, the truth of the matter is that someone can genuinely say in their heart, so someone can say, I have wisdom, therefore I am great. Some people do say that, even in church. Possibly not as overt as that, but subtly they will say that. I have wisdom, therefore I am great. But someone else can say this. I have wisdom, therefore God is great. The wisdom I have is all all because of his grace at work in my life. It's nothing to do with me. It's his gift to me. I have wisdom, therefore God is great. And we can all recognize the gift of wisdom in our lives, whilst also recognizing we still have a long way to go. So we can identify how God might be working, God might be given his wisdom. But we also see, yes, that's that's good, that's right. Praise God for what he's doing. But I still have a long way to go. There's still much that God has to do in my life. So we're not walking about thinking to ourselves that we have reached a capacity of wisdom in our lives. And nothing else needs to be added to our lives. I hope none of us think that because that's that's not true. To live like that would be sheer delusion. It would be more a picture of our world than the foolishness that James describes here than a picture of the true God-glorifying wisdom that we see. James's main point, and all that we read here in verse 13, is that wisdom should be evident both inwardly and outwardly. There should be a consistency between the internal, the external, good conduct and gentleness are a key indicator of what it is that's truly governing our hearts. And I love how in verse 17, James reinforces what this kind of wisdom looks like by underlining some of the fruits of wisdom. Uh, And before we look at this list, let me just highlight three things which I believe are important in verse 17. As we take time to understand what James is doing here within these descriptions. So first of all, let me just say that this list that James describes here is not an exhaustive list of the fruit of wisdom. These are just some examples of what it looks like to live outwardly as we seek to live a life of wisdom. Secondly, from what the scripture teaches elsewhere, I believe that these fruits are proportionately displayed in the life of a person. I.e., they grow simultaneously as someone chooses to more and more run to Christ and to live in Christ. And finally, many commentators would make a point that the first fruit Similar to Paul's list in Galatians when he speaks about love, the first fruit, pure, purity, is the most important. And that first fruit in many ways is connected to the other fruits. So with that in mind, let's just take hold of what James says in verse 17 as he speaks about the fruits of wisdom. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense <clears throat> and this morning as we close I think it's just maybe helpful for us to ask some questions of the list that James presents here so James's point here is if you want to know if you want to know if you carry genuine God glorifying righteous wisdom from above if you want to know you are wise then then ask yourself these fruitful questions first question am I pure? Am I pure? In other words, is my life marked by purity? If you want to know if you're living a wise life, ask yourself that question today. Is my life marked by purity? Is there a wholehearted longing for God in every area of my life? A wholeness in my heart that's driven, that runs towards God? Am I pure? Second question. Very easy, very simple for us in terms of understanding where we're going here. Am I peace-loving? Am I peace-loving? So, is it your deepest desire to pursue peace in the relationships that you have with other people, out of a desire to see them being built up in Christ? Am I peace-loving? Next question, am I gentle? Am I gentle? Do I speak and act in a way that truly considers the sensitivities and the needs of others. And again, out of a desire to see them built up. Am I compliant? Am I compliant? (laughs) Am I at times willing to yield? Am I willing to submit? When I know this is gonna help them and their relationship with God and their relationships with other people and in my relationship with God and in my relationship with other people. Am I compliant? Am I full of mercy? As I recognise the mercy of God in my own life, as I recognise how generous God has been to me, so God has blessed blessed me in my own life. Am I also, in turn, displaying that and showing that day after day towards other people? Because if I truly understand what God has done to me by showing me mercy, then surely that will result in me showing mercy towards other people. Am I full of mercy? And am I full of good fruits? Is there evidence that my life is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Am I unwavering? Am I unwavering? Do I know what it means to persevere? In the power of the Holy Spirit, do I know what it means to persevere? No matter what my circumstances might shout and scream at me, my desire is to keep on keeping on for the glory of God. To not trust in my feelings, to trust in his promises and in his word. Am I unwavering? And finally, am I without pretense? Am I without pretense? Are the words I speak and the way I act, is that characterized by truth and not flattery or deception? So I'm challenged by these questions. And James wants us to understand that you and I can know whether or not we have wisdom by how it is we answer these questions. So you want to know if you genuinely carry wisdom, then then answer these questions honestly and openly. And ultimately, the truth is, we cannot wholeheartedly answer these questions with a full and hearty yes, apart from Christ. So none of us can, can shout yes to all of these questions, unless Christ is at work in our lives. Because when you look at these fruits, that James highlights, what you discover is that Jesus himself could answer yes to all of these. Jesus himself could say yes to every single one of these. So was Jesus pure? Absolutely, he was pure. He and the Father were one. Was he peace-loving? Well, he is our peace, Ephesians 2. He is a Prince of Peace. Was Jesus gentle? Yes. Absolutely, gentleness was a central characteristic of his ministry here on earth. Was Jesus compliant? Absolutely. Jesus submitted to the Father's will on every single occasion. He only ever did what the Father told him to do. And we could go on. Jesus was full of mercy towards those he encountered. Not only that, Jesus consistently displayed righteousness and good fruits, before others. He was unwavering in his focus to do his father's will, to fulfill the will of God. As we've looked at already, he came to serve and not be served. He gave his life as a ransom for many. What can we say this morning? Our saviour was without pretense. He demonstrated that all that he does was an exact representation of all that he is. So in light of all of that, we must recognize this morning that to see the fruit of wisdom in our lives is to see Jesus in our lives. And To actually carry the fruit of wisdom day after day means we have to run to Jesus. We have to cling to Jesus. We have to rest in Jesus. He is the offer. He is a perfecter of our faith. And this is where we close this morning. We want to finish with Jesus. We want to be a people this morning who recognize wisdom is not just some kind of fancy conceptual idea. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. Wisdom is about deep and intimate relationship with him. We want to look more like him. We need to rest in him. We need to live in him. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who has given us eternal life, and he has given us a purpose in this life that will last all the way into eternity. So as we respond in worship, we just wanna create space uh, for, for anyone who wants to, to respond in prayer, whether during our worship time or afterwards as we have tea and coffee. So we're gonna have a time of tea and coffee after this time. And this is a chance for us to encourage each other, to build one another up, to have fellowship, to laugh together, but it also might be a chance for you to receive prayer. And perhaps you have never given your life to Christ before. Perhaps you have never made a decision to follow him. I would invite you to make a decision to follow him, the offer of our wisdom. There is nothing more important, there is nothing more precious, there is nothing more purposeful than choosing to live for him. Perhaps you feel overwhelmed this morning by something in your life. There's maybe just something that's going on that you're finding really difficult. You don't know what to do. You need wisdom. You're asking God for strength and this is why we are here. We're here to pray for one another. So if that's you, speak to myself, speak to TJ, speak to someone you know who loves the Lord. We would want to pray for you today. We don't want to miss this opportunity. We don't want to waste our time when we come here on a Sunday. Because so often we can come on a Sunday and we can waste our time. We cannot maximize this gift that God has given to us, his local church, his bride. So if you need prayer for something you're facing, don't miss out on this opportunity, speak to us and we will hear and we will pray. This morning perhaps you're experiencing some kind of illness or ailment. We believe in the God who can heal and the God who does heal. And in faith we would commit that to God and ask that in Jesus name he would. And we will trust that with God. We'll give it to him and ask. And we will trust and keep praying and praying and praying. So. In any of these ways, there is opportunity to respond both as we sing but also beyond that time as we have tea and coffee. And as we respond in these various ways, let's be a people who do live out a wise faith that we would pursue wisdom by pursuing Christ. And I just wanted us to close with Ephesians one17 to 17-19. I'm just going to ask you to stand. And I want us just to read this together before we come into a time of worship. So let's let's stand and let's just take a moment to read these words. This can be our prayer uh, as we close. So Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. So, Father, we pray that that would be true for us today. We thank you, Lord, that that you are the source of our wisdom, but you are also the one who cultivates this gift of wisdom in our lives so that we display fruits that will last. Lord, I thank you that that you have given us the opportunity to be a blessing to the non-believers around us, whether in this community, in our workplace, at school or university. We ask that by your spirit you you would equip us and empower us into all that you call us to be. Lord, we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about you. So convict us for selfish hearts And bring us to a place where our eyes are firmly fixed on you. And our desire is to see your name made famous. In our lives and in the lives of those who we know and love. In Jesus name, Amen.